This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. What's up, y'all? It's your host, Will, coming back for another episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be bringing back some more turkey hunting madness to you, but we're going to be talking specifically about what to do when the gobblers aren't talking or when they're hitting up or when they're sprinting in to their death. But nonetheless, we got Mr. Cody Kelly from Small Town Hunting TV to come on and talk to us about this, go down a couple rabbit holes, and just have some fun on this episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast. And again, y'all, we just want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Hunt Stand Podcast. We can't thank y'all enough. We greatly appreciate y'all's support. If you're new to the podcast, make sure you're subscribed. Go on over there, rate and review for us. It really helps us out. We greatly appreciate it. But nonetheless, here's Mr. Cody Kelly, and we just want to thank y'all for tuning in to the Hunt Stand Podcast. All right, man. Cody, appreciate you hopping on the podcast today. Man, I appreciate it. Good to be here. Absolutely, absolutely, man. We can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your busy turkey hunting schedule and work to hop on here with us. And one of the things I like to do to start out each of these podcasts with, especially with new guests, is I like for y'all to give us the 30-foot tree stand view of who you are. So, you know, where you're from, how you got into what you're doing, and just kind of giving us a little skinny of who you are, man. So, Cody, give us that 30-foot tree stand view. Yeah, I appreciate it. So, yeah, my name's Cody Kelly, and I'm with Small Town Hunting, which is myself, Keith Burgess, and Chris Ashley. And, uh, you know, we were all, we all cut our teeth and, and broke into the industry at Primos, um, doing Primos Truth About Hunting. We all worked there. Chris and Keith were there about 16 years. And then, uh, I came in, um, after that, but we, uh, had a good run there and decided we wanted to try things on our own. And there was some corporate changes there and it, it was the time to take a chance and been doing small town hunting ever since we're filming season seven this year. 
Um, you know, we always joke around. We told everybody, you know, man, if we can do it two years, that, that'd be a good deal. And then it's like, well, I guess we're going to do year three. And then it rolled to year four and we're still going. <laughs> still going. That's good, man. Yep. So it's, it's been a fun ride. we got a great group of guys, um, the, the producers, the editors, um, and then me, Chris and Keith, the friendship there. It's, uh, you know, the team, the team is everything. So it, it, it makes it a lot of fun. Heck yeah, man. That's, that's what it's all about. So how, how did you get into hunting? Was it kind of the, the standard going out in the woods with dad or, you know, what got you obsessed with the outdoors? I, I would say I'm a blue book, um, textbook. My dad was a big hunter and, uh, it, it, uh, gravitated right to me. Um, you know, it started out, he always tells everybody he, he gets a big kick out of it. I, I was not a morning hunter and, uh, he never pushed that envelope starting out because that was the time he got to hunt and he said he killed a lot less animals when i started going with him in the afternoons <laughs> <laughs> so uh it, it was uh you know kind of started that deal toting the the bb gun you know and and him keeping me busy with little nintendo games different things in the stand and and you know trying to keep me quiet and that uh grew into if the truck was going to the deer camp I was in it. So, yep. um, and, and the, the stories from the deer camps and, and hunting with him, they're, they're still my top memories, you know, even after traveling all across the country and it, it's the, it, it, we, we have done some dumb things and learned a lot. <laughs> Haven't we all, man? Yep. So, but, uh, yeah, I was blessed, man. I had a, I had a great, I, I still have a great dad and, and uh still i get to go on a couple hunts with him a year and um you know we get to relive those stories but yeah that that was 100 percent the roots we grew up hunting and it was you know hey if you get this list done around the house and here's your chores then you know i'll pick you up friday afternoon from school we'll hunt friday afternoon and saturday and then we'll go to church on sunday so um that that's pretty much how i grew up hunting i love it man so do you have that Red Rider BB in the in the blind with you too before you could shoot? Oh yeah, for sure. And, <laughs> and uh, not knowing it until years later, you know, it was empty. It was full at the house and empty in the stand. <laughs> it, and you thought you were there for backup for the de- for your dad in case a deer got up, right? One hundred percent. It's uh, probably one of the funniest stories. There was I was probably five six years old, and um, I hadn't I, I shot my first deer at seven, but mm-hmm. Um, I, I was probably five, I would say, yeah. and we're in a box stand and it was the old, we, we called it the old Johnson place. And, uh, it was just a box stand with a food plot, typical Southern, you know, hunting. Yep. And, uh, they, <laughs> he would always wake me up, you know, when deer started coming out. Well, that always worked good until the shooter was the first deer in the field. And I'm going to say probably last time I slept in a tree stand was when his seven mag went off and i was in a dead sleep in the bottom of the box stand i don't sleep again (laughs) (laughs) i bet that was a nice little wake-up call it was so but yeah good times man and it's uh that's that's 100 um you know made me who i am today and and the hunting passion heck yeah man i'm i am right there with you in that same boat used to take the old red rider with me either shoot squirrels if there weren't deer i'd sit there thinking i was back up for dad Yep. So I can tell you as a kid, if they would have had gamos, um, 
I'm gonna say our our neighborhood would not had as many squirrels and um because I, I I know what we were hunting squirrels and birds mm-hmm. in the yard with and if we'd have had what they have now it's a um <laughs> it'd be a lot less <laughs> I might have been, I might have been in a little bit more trouble one hundred percent yeah hell yeah I, I will say that so man I wanted to get you on to talk turkey hunting you know we're yep. we're in the thick of it. Y'all have been doing a lot of turkey hunting. We've been doing a lot of turkey hunting. And the birds are doing a whole bunch of different things across the nation. You got birds that are going nuts. You got birds that are still in winter flocks. And so I wanted to get you on here to kind of talk about hunting different types of birds. So hunting those silent turkeys, the ones that are hinned up, and the ones that literally come in sprinting to die. And so... I just wanted to kind of pick your brain, you know, how are you hunting each of those birds? So to start off, how do you approach hunting that bird that's just silent? He might have gobbled a couple times on the roost and then all of a sudden nothing. So what's your approach? And and that's tough to not cross in to hand up as well. Yeah. Um feel like that those two go the approach is very similar mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, it, it's kind of, I guess in, in, in our group, it's, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a long one. It's a patient thing. Um, a lot of times they're gonna gobble. Now yeah. they, it, it's not, it's not that bird out looking that's gobbling and trying to gobble a hen up, but they will gobble enough to stay on them. And I'm not saying, you know, Hey, if you stay on them and you, you know, you, you hear the gobbles, you're going to kill them. That is definitely a tough scenario. Um, but I feel like we, that's one thing we did really well in, in Georgia and Alabama, although things were tough and they were, I mean, they were, they gobbled eight to 10 times on the limb. They pitched down and it's, it's silence. Yeah. Um, but our, our strategy on that and my strategy is, I want to be in areas, I I know the birds are there, you've done the homework, you you know they're, you know, roosting in close place, you know, close to the same spot every time, they're they're living in a certain section, Um, and just trying to stay close enough that when he does slip up and gobble, you're, you're able to keep making moves and stay on them, and so, you know, perfect scenario, we were on a, a bird in Georgia, uh, the bird two mornings in a row was roosted within 50 yards of the same tree. Dang. And so we went in, he pitched, he pitched down. He's got eight to 10 hens with him. We got close. He gobbled with them. He got with the hens. He shut up. It was about every hour or so. And it was a lot of, you know, looking at hunt stand and man, he could go up here. He could go over here. And then all of a sudden he gobbles and he's in the same spot. He hadn't moved, been there an hour. Um, and and just staying with him and then as the day went on it was about 11 o'clock the the group started moving Mm -hmm. and when those hens started moving and he's walking trying to stay with them there would be three or four gobbles there you know where he's trying to you know keep everything together yeah and we could make another move well that bird it started at 6 15 first time he gobbled and at three o'clock they started making a move and he gobbled enough that we luckily just got in, you know, in a good spot, got close enough, started calling hens, get interested. And then we ended up shooting them at three 30. 
but 100% we knew that was what our plan was for that day. And I think, you know, that, that was probably the most successful thing we did is just trying to stay in there. So when he does mess up and gobble, um, you're close enough to make moves and you just keep making those moves. Yeah. Um, and that's not ideal. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people, I'll be honest with you. Let's, let's just be dead honest. If I'm at home, I gotta, I gotta go to the office and I'm trying to hunt him off the roost. I, I never shot that bird that day. Yeah. There, there's no doubt about it. We were there, we were on a trip and it was tough. Um, and so we were in a position that we had the luxury to be patient and stay on it. Um, you know, so end up situation and you off the roost, I would 100% try to get as close as I could without bumping them. A lot of times long beard flies down first. You can, you know, call to him softly and he'll come to you before the hens pitch down. Mm-hmm. That's one, you know, one tactic. The other tactic is if he's still out of range, you know, when he hits the ground, a lot of times you're close enough to what we call the bubble. You know, you're close enough that you're calling that hen has to come over there to, you know, she starts getting aggressive and she'll come over there to see who it is. And then here he comes and follows along. So, you know, aggressive on the roost to try to make something happen quick and then patience, you know, from there, yeah. I would say in that scenario. What about what about those days where those birds just they're not gobbling at all? Like, I mean, we've all kind of had those days. It might be a little bit windier, or you had a cool front that kind of came in the night before, and they just shut up for whatever reason. Or it's just one of those dog hot days. I mean, what are you doing on those days that they're just they're not talking at all? Uh, <laughs> probably what everybody else is doing if you're still on them you just feel like you're bumping birds or you go around a curve you just called 200 yards prior and then you go around the curve and there he is with five hands or there he is and for whatever reason he's not gobbling it's tough man i don't i don't think there's a a tactic there that you mm-hmm. can revert that um you know, I, I wish there was. I think it would be a, a lot more fun on those days. Yeah. I mean, do you ever just kind of – I mean, I've done this before, and I, heck, I think if it's it's only worked one out of five times, but just sitting in an area where you know historically you might have seen them before or you know it's kind of their general area, do you just plop down next to a tree and yelp every 15 to 30 minutes? I, I – I think so. Um, in that situation, so they're not gobbling. I feel like you're faced with two, two options here. Yeah. One, one is the old motto: go to a hot bird. So you cover the ground. You go try to find a hot bird. If you don't have the ground to, to do that, or that's not always the best play for the reasons I just said. In my opinion, and like I said, these are all my opinions. It is not the way in the book of turkey hunting. I mean, I, it's every day you learn something new. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, you go try to find a hot bird. Well, what you run into a lot of times on that, if they're just not gobbling, you end up bumping a bunch of birds. Um, And I, I definitely think the safest and best scenario in that is to try to find somewhere you've seen a strut zone or, you know, 
a, a food plot outside of the timber, you know, block of timber that you know is at and do some light calling every 15 or 20 minutes. And, and I think that goes back to a lot of times what we were talking about, you know, staying on a bird. You know, you may have not started at that spot, but next thing you know, you've been there two hours and he fires off on that one crow that one time. And you, yeah. you, you're like, hey, he's over here. And that totally changes your game plan. Um, and, and a lot of times you sit there and you sit there for three or four hours and you never hear anything. You never see anything. It is tough. That's 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 worst case scenario of turkey hunting is when they're not gobbling. Yeah, it's, it's never fun. Never easy. But, so, but I mean, you get, you know, the average hunter gets a Saturday morning, you know, and he gets to hunt and, you know, you gotta, you gotta pull out all tricks of the trade. And that's definitely a successful one. I, I've seen it work. We, we did it in Mississippi this year. We had a spot, we had, we had trail cam pictures of two long beards, one pitcher. And so we go over there, we kept trying to strike them. We'd pull in, it was a small piece, 50 acres. And it was kind of food plot or bust, really. Yeah. And so we we eased in there. We'd we'd yelp. We'd check. We never struck anything. And it was one of the days exactly what you're talking about. We have hit everything that we could hit, and we haven't heard a bird since fly down. And so we made a decision. We're like, hey, you know, we had pictures of them. Let's just go sit in the food plot. Be patient do some light calling every 15, 20 minutes and see if anything happens. And, you know, either we hear them fly up and have a plan for in the morning. So we sit there, we went in at three fifteen, and we sat there all day, every 20 minutes hitting, you know, different sequences and every now and then get aggressive and cut, try to strike one, do that all afternoon. And at six forty, we yelped and they gobbled at 200 yards. And we've been there for three hours, you know, nothing, not haven't seen, heard anything. And in five minutes, they were jumping on the decoy and we shot them. But so that that's the exact scenario you're talking about. We have, you know, there was nothing gobbling anywhere. And we had done that for two days in a row and not striking anything, bumping some birds every now and then. So we just decided to, you know, we know there's birds in here. Let's sit down, be patient, call every 15, 20 minutes. And it's one of the best hunts we've had all year. Heck yeah. All right, y'all, we're going to interrupt this podcast real quick from a word from our sponsors and to thank them for the support of the Hunt Stand podcast. Uh, first, we've got federal premium ammunition. You know, it's federal season. There's nothing louder than a gobble from long beer that struts into range or silence as complete as after you take the shot. Celebrate the ultimate right of spring with Federal. Up next, we've got Work Sharp Tools. Sharpen every knife you own. And finally, we've got Yamaha Outdoors. Revs your heart. So we just want to thank them for their support of the Hunt Stand Podcast, and we're going to get right back to it. So I kind of want to talk about hind up gobblers next. Diving in, because sometimes... You know, we have the scenario that you were talking about earlier, but then one of the things I ran into uh, recently was I had a hen up Tom that he was just gobbling his head off. So when you've got a Tom like that, that he's got a hen that, you know, he's following her and you're back behind him or off to the side and you're yelping and he's gobbling and everything you're throwing, but he just keeps following her and he's gobbling and walking away. How do you attack a bird like that? I mean, are you going right at this bird? Are you going to try and cut them off if you know where they're going? Like, wh- how do you approach a scenario like that? 
in my experience, and, and I know it's a, you know, you get into the controversial, you know, subjects of decoys, no decoys. Um, in, in my experience, the most successful tactic there is to get in a position to, to bust into that bubble. And, and we always term the bubble inside, you know, 80 to 100 yards that yeah. you become threat. You know, a lot of people, they got a strut and decoy out. And they said, and we've done it. You know, you only got one play. You sit on the edge of a field. They fly down at 200 yards. You call to them. They gobble, 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 gobble. They got three or four hens with them, and they go the other way. And they're like, well, they didn't come to the strutter. Well, it, it wasn't a threat. It wasn't in the bubble. He's watching him, but it never got inside that 80 to 100 yards. So, you know, the if I could ever get in a position – whether it's cutting them off or getting to where they're headed or trying to get in a position to have a set up um, with a de- uh, with a strut and decoy inside that 80 to 100 yards, I feel like majority of the time they will break because yeah. they're um, – if you bounce to the no decoy section, then I think you're extremely – you're limited to really trying to outsmart and know the lay studying, you know, and, and I, I'm not throwing it out as product pimping or anything like that. But I mean, I hunt, it's crazy. You hunt, mm-hmm. you know, one, one hand on your mouth yelping and the other hands on the map and, and it's constantly studying, Hey, they're headed this direction. There's a, you know, there's a small food plot up there. There's this and, and constantly studying that. And I think, you know, in the scenario you're talking about with no decoys, that is that is key. Trying to figure out where their next move is. Um, and I, and I also still think the bubble works on, you know, making the hen mad. She starts coming. Yeah. She starts and yelping, and you're you're getting aggressive with her and making her break that line where it brings him into range. I was about to say that was my next question: was Are you trying to really piss her off? Because I've had it before where either the hen will just go even faster to pull him away from you yep. or she gets pissed and all of a sudden you've got a hen in your lap. Yep. And I, and I think it's a 50, 50 deal there. I wish I could know how to shift those odds. Um, but you're exactly right. At the point she starts answering you, it's either going to go really good or really bad. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a, it, it's always that scenario that you play it in your head that you're like, well, I'm not going to get aggressive with her because then she's going to drag them off. And mm-hmm. then you do it. You do it anyway. Um, but you're 100% right. And a lot of times he'll, she starts all that, you know, cutting and, and she's mad. You're cutting back, you, you know, and she's getting closer. And the next thing you know, she's like, all right, I'm out. And then it's like, at that point when she leaves, and she shuts up, he shuts up, and it's, you know, you don't hear any, you don't even know where they went. Yeah. Um, it, it's just a disappearing act. But in that scenario, I, I think you, you know, I'm always probably going to play the odds that she might get pissed off or mad enough to come all the way in there looking and you end up getting a shot at it. But it is far from 100%. <laughs> yeah. Like I I had that same thing happen to me two mornings ago. In fact, I had this this Tom that he was gobbling his head off in this opening that I knew was up in front of me and I get sat down and this hen walks out in front of me about 80 yards and she starts going up the hill and he's gobbling his head off walking away with her gobbling gobbling and 
I knew they had finally gotten to a point where they couldn't see me if I moved and I could, I knew which way they were going cause he was gobbling like a madman. And right. so I pretty much just went straight at him, sat down again and started calling. And then all of a sudden he started coming back to me. So I think either she got scared of me and left or said, right. screw this. I'm, I'm gone. I'm not going to deal with that. You can have her kind of deal. That's right. Yeah. So, and that's what I mean. I, I think uh, if if you get the situation where they're communicating, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're playing the aggressive approach and and doing what you did, moving into that, getting into the bubble where whatever the whatever happened, and you'll never know um, whether she left or you got close enough that he said, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to bring this one along too. I I don't know what happens then. I yeah, wish I did. Same. Um. But a lot of times, I mean, it, it, it works. It does. So one of the things I know listeners are probably going to ask is like, okay, you talk, you're talking about pissing a hen off. You know, what are you doing to make her mad? Like what kind of calling are you throwing at her to tick her at, off? At that point, whatever she does, I'm trying to do it one step further. Mm-hmm. And, and you can kind of, when that scenario, you know, when you yelp and all of a sudden she yelps back and then you yelp and throw, you know, a yelp, cut, yelp, and she does yelp, cut, cut, yelp. And at that point, I'm not trying to go over the top and and just go crazy. I'm just trying to do exactly what she's doing and maybe one extra step Yeah. Um, and, and just trying to keep the same level. Um, cause I've, I've seen a lot of times that when you, you know, if she kind of just starts yelping and you start cutting crazy, it doesn't get into that back and forth stuff. She just kind of like, all right, I'm, I'm not, I'm not that mad about it. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's really just really minim- mimicking exactly what she's doing. I've had the best success like that. Mimicking her and just cutting her off. That's right. Exactly. Got it. Yeah. It's, you know, it's kind of funny um, going down a rabbit hole on this one, but have you, you've elk hunted before, haven't you? Correct. Yeah. So I find it kind of funny or not, not necessarily funny, but how there's so many similarities between elk hunting and turkey hunting. Like, Absolutely. it's hilarious. And I mean, obviously I'm going to save elk talk for later in the year, but it's just the parallels that are there. It's, it's kind of kind of cool to hear like what we're talking about. Like, oh yeah, this can apply to the same thing. And, and I'll honestly say, I feel like if you had a person that is, that is a good elk hunters, elk hunted and understands the philosophy and, and, and the drop back calling scenario, or, um, you know, we've, we've always hunted in on elk on, and I'm not going to go far down it. Like you said, we can talk about this in end of August, but, um, if you take a lot of the elk hunting philosophies, and you bring them over to turkey, you can be successful. And I yeah. feel like if you have a good turkey hunter and you send him out west, he can figure out the game of elk hunting. Oh, yeah. Um, there is very, very a lot of similarities there. Um, you know, the, the challenge bugling to a bull, and, and uh, there's a lot of similarities. Only difference is you got you got to worry about thermals and wind with the elk. Yeah, I will say now, if a turkey <laughs> could, oh, I don't know if you could kill him. That'd be the hardest. <laughs> that'd be the hardest dang animal to kill. I 100 percent agree with that. There is no doubt. We've said 
all on if, if if a turkey could smell like an elk um it, it is I, I don't know if we wouldn't be worried about uh turkey population they'd be everywhere <laughs> oh yeah yeah they'd be everywhere they'd be in my backyard they'd be roosting in my trees exactly so next type of bird i want to talk about is the good goblin bird he's playing the game he read the script and he comes sprinting in. I mean, obviously, you're going to kill him the best you can, but what does that scenario look like for you? You know, when the time is right, the birds are just going nuts, are you using decoys? What kind of calling are you doing? Like, what's the perfect turkey hunting day for you look like? I mean, textbook, you know, when you when you throw decoys in the mix, you, you have a lot of questions. You know, hey, has is this a subordinate bird has he had his tail whipped um when you have birds responding and coming to calls um i think that's like kind of back to your deal that's the optimal day of of elk hunting you're catching the right bird in the right situation um and you know textbook hunt for me is strike a bird you move up to get closer you strike them again and you can tell he's closing the distance, and I want to go 50 yards or, or 20 or 30 yards further than the last yelp and sit down, and next thing you know, here he comes. That's textbook. Not yeah. trying to overdo it. I'm trying to I'm trying to shoot a turkey, Yeah. and that's, that's textbook, and I think um, those hunts are what gets a lot of people hooked, you know, and it's the, you know, you stop or you've been walking, you strike him, and you know, you're like, okay, well, he's 300 yards over there. Let me cut 100. So you cut 100, yelp, and then it's that old, let me slide down the tree and sit down. You know, typically I'm going to try to push that extra 20 yards and no decoys, no anything. He's coming to the last yelp. I've already cut 20 yards off that. He gets to 40 yards, and he's 20 yards from me. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's textbook in my opinion. What about – the mornings where you've got birds roosted, you know where they are. And I'd say, you know, probably in your part of the States, y'all have got a lot of agricultural fields that you can sit on and these birds are coming out on. Um, we've got a few down here in Texas, but not so many. Are you sitting up on edges of fields knowing where these birds are going to pitch down? And in that scenario where you're sitting up on a field, what, well, ki- what kind of decoy setup do you have? We're, we're actually really heavy timber um, okay. in, in Mississippi. So it, it's a lot of, you know, I, I'll, I'll describe a textbook, grow, you know, Mississippi hunt. You, you got pine trees or you got hardwoods. If you got hardwoods, you're hunting on ridges. So birds roosted on the edge of a ridge, and you're, the key to the game is to try to get on the same ridge with it. Yeah. Um, and then, and you know, the pines is is going to be a pine plantation, and birds roosted on the creek, um, where they still have, you know, they they can only cut so far down to the creek. So you got some hardwoods roosted along a creek, and those birds are you know, you're trying to work them into the pines. Um, but given your situ- what you're saying on a field, um, <clears throat> we are I, I'm a we, our whole group, um. We, we are fans of a lay-down hen strutting decoy in a field situation or a three-quarter strut with a, you know, lay-down hen. Yeah. Um, 
you know, we, we throw a lookout hen every now and then to the side. Um, if it's if it's a little bit taller grass and I'm worried if he sees the lay down hen, um, I'll throw a lookout hen, you know, off to the side. But if it's a disc field or, you know, young growth in the field and I know he can see that lay down hen, a lot of times I'll just roll, you know, strut and decoy with a lay down hen. Nice. Okay. Okay. So in y'all's scenario though, like what you're talking about in these, um, timber farms and everything, um, are y'all throwing up decoys first thing in the morning or are y'all just getting as close as you can to that roost or, you know, where they're going to pitch down and you're just going to start cutting and calling at them. I, I would say, I would say at the first of the season opening day, we're going to have a strutter out. Um, and I think we let the season depict when we start. I think early there's still a lot of establishing the pecking order. Yeah. Um, so you, you may have a few that shy away from strutter, but a lot of times, you know, they're they're still in that dominance phase where they're trying to they're trying to establish who's top, you know, who's who's king. Yeah. Um, and strutting decoys early, just about, I mean, opening day. No matter what the situation is, roosted birds, we go in to hunt, we're going to put a strutter with a lay down. Now, as the season develops and you start having more bird, they'll, they'll start shying away from them. And I feel like as the season goes, it's a lot less decoys. It's a lot more of the yelp move up and, and try to get that bird looking. Also, you have a lot more cover on the trees at that point to make moves. Um I, and I feel like that's why we use decoys a lot early is everything's open. It's hard to get as close as you want to, to get in that bubble to, for the, you know, to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times decoys help with that. Once you get some cover and grass starts getting taller, I think it's a lot easier to, you know, make them come in and look because it, it could be behind that grass patch. It could be behind that clump that's got leaves all over it. Yeah. Um, it's a lot easier to make them and come, you know, come in and look just like an elk. Same, same philosophy. Yeah. Well, sweet, man. Well, to kind of, to kind of recap what we've talked about, I want you to give the listeners kind of a, um, number one on the advice list of what to do when hunting those silent birds, hunting those hand up birds and the good goblin ones. So what's kind of your, your go-to advice for those three subjects? The, I'll start with the, I I hope everybody has that good goblin bird. (laughs) I feel like those are the ones that you, uh, you, you, you think you're thankful that it happened and that's what keeps you going. Yep. And I think on hand up birds and non goblin to keep that hunt in your mind (laughs) That that it. It's uh that that's what keeps you going. Now the the hand up birds and non goblin and outsmarting and playing terrains and and those are the most rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like you know the 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 yelp and strike one and you just you know the old saying you could have rubbed two sticks together and shot him. You know that that's what keeps everybody going. Yep, exactly. Well, sweet man. Well, tell the listeners real quick. Where can we find you on social media? Where can we find the show? And tell us about that real quick. Yep. So, Small Town Hunting, we're on Sportsman's Channel. Um, and then we've got a digital series as well. 
uh, called Small Town Life, and we're you know that airs on Waypoint, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Hunt Channel, uh, Roku, all of our YouTube. Uh, everything's uploaded to YouTube, so that the digital series is kind of a semi live. Um, you know, if we if we shoot three birds in Mississippi within the next week or so, those are going to be out there, and it's you know bare bones, straight to the hunt just good hunting footage and then the tv show really brings in the, the strategy side and, and a little bit longer form but yeah so sportsman's channel and uh small town hunting facebook and instagram uh youtube uh waypoint hunt channel so it's uh a joke inside our group is if they're if they're not watching it, it's because they really just don't want to watch it <laughs> <laughs> no man y'all got some great stuff where, where can we find you on instagram uh small town hunting tv all right. Love it, man. Well, Cody, man, I really appreciate you hopping on the podcast today, talking turkeys and giving listeners some advice. Yep. I enjoyed it, man. We'll have to get you on, heck, elk season. I know we'll go on to that once August gets here. Yep. We'll keep rolling them. So it'll be uh, good luck to everybody out there. It's, it's uh, If it's tough, it's, it'll, it'll get better. And there you have it, everybody. Another end to the hunt stand podcast episode and we just want to thank cody for hopping on with us he's got a hectic crazy schedule chasing these crazy turkeys all across the nation and putting them down on the ground giving them some dirt naps so mr kelly we just want to thank you for hopping on with us again and we just want to thank you the listeners for tuning in to another episode of the hunt stand podcast again we greatly appreciate y'all support if you haven't yet you have till may 31st to enter our big turkey giveaway we are giving away a ton of stuff all the way from a savage renegade an alps turkey vest we're giving away some montana decoys some federal premium tss shelves and we're giving a lot more so if you haven't yet make sure you either head to the link in our instagram bio i'm going to drop the link down in the description below so make sure y'all are entered into that because you don't want to miss out on that we're giving away over three thousand dollars in prizes so it's a huge turkey giveaway so make sure y'all go and get that done and if y'all can head on over to youtube check out our new youtube channel it's called field notes outdoors powered by hunt stand of course so make sure y'all go on over there subscribe check out all the hunting content we're going to be putting up there all the turkey content we've put up so far and we're going to have a whitetail series coming in hot this fall so make sure y'all go on over there subscribe smash that bell button so you get notified every time we post some new content but other than that y'all we just want to thank you again for tuning into the hunt stand podcast and we will see you on the next one
You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know, right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.